Hello and welcome to Coffee Meet with Algamy Consulting and me, your host, Chris New. Today's podcast is the seventh in our third series of podcasts titled Optimism with Caution. Today, we're also taking a break from our normal format as we look to give you a whistle-stop tour of what you need to know about operational resilience. As those of you who've listened to our last two podcasts, operational resilience, along with many other regulatory programs that are keeping asset management CEOs from their summer holidays, is looming large on most CEO and CRO's calendars. With regulators around the world looking to improve on the operational risk management initiatives of the last 10 years that arguably helped the industry to have a good pandemic and ensure that cybersecurity and robust dynamic governance are built on top of the risk management process. As we will hear, for those managers in the UK under the PRA FCA, that deadline is fast approaching. To help us guide us through this Q&A session, I'm joined by Algamy Consulting Partners, Pierre-Yves and Luke Jacobs. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Chris. So I'm going to do this in a very quick fire format, just to help all those who are still either wondering what operational resilience is all about, or just have those questions that have never quite been answered. So let's kick off with what is operational resilience and what are people doing about that? So I'm going to go to you first, Luke. Yes, when, when we speak uh, about operational resilience in, in the regulation, it is uh, quite specifically indicated. And in general, it's achieving resilience to operational disruption within your organization. And it's really a strategic business imperative, as well as a regulated compliance area of focus. And the regulation is very much about looking at the important business services in your organization. And that is defined as a service provided by a firm or by another person, because it could also be outsourced on behalf of the firm to one or more clients of the firm. And if disruption would occur, then this would, in, the, in that case, cause intolerable levels of harm to one or more of the firm's clients or would pose a risk to the soundness, stability or resilience of the UK financial system or the orderly operation of financial markets. So still a, a, a broad definition but at the same time, it indicates that it just goes beyond the firm itself, which in the past BCP was very much focusing on. It is really now moving that towards clients and the financial markets. Excellent. So there's no internal services are out of scope is what I'm hearing there. Internal services are part of the framework. So even in a way, they would be still in scope if they ultimately have an impact on the client or the operating of the financial markets. But if you would talk about maybe HR services, that would normally not be part of your operational uh, resilience. So Luke, maybe you could take us through um, a bit more about the international dimension of operational resilience and the difference between the different regulators and and the, the, the sort of timelines for implementing any regulation or consulting programs they have. Yeah, absolutely, because uh, the UK regulation doesn't stand on its own and there, there has been already uh, regulation within other countries as well, especially in Asia, in Europe, and through international bodies like uh, the Basel Committee. And there are, for instance, elements of the International Organization of Securities Commissions on the principles of outsourcing. There is uh, also in the US, there is a joint authorities paper on operational resilience. And uh, the European Commission has a digital operational resilience that came in force in September 2020. And again, 
there is probably initially been quite a, a focus on uh, cybersecurity uh, and the resilience around that. The UK are probably uh, a few steps further, not ignoring cybersecurity, but just making it part of the overall operational resilience that is looking at the levels of harm to one or more of the firm's clients and the orderly operation financial markets. So it really goes further and cybersecurity is just part of that. And in terms of which regulations uh, need to be met first, is there sort of a pecking order within those different jurisdictions? Clearly, all those uh, regulations have certain uh, dates at which they have to be implemented. It's not a packing order in that sense, unless you take the data of implementation. It is really looking at the combined elements of this regulation and make sure that you understand the general denominator of these regulations, because clearly it is the most stringent uh, regulation that you will have to follow. So we've heard there's lots of regulation and compliance required, but I guess my next question is going to be, what are the business benefits beyond the prevention of harm to clients that you mentioned, Luke? and uh, financial markets, um, operational resilience. So, Pierre-Yves, time for you to jump in. What are those business benefits? Can you give us a quick answer on that, please? I guess there will be three points to highlight here, Chris. The first point will be looking at operational resilience gives organizations a more holistic visibility on the resilience performance and the risks that it attached to their business. I think that's really important, the holistic view. The second point is, Thinking about operational resilience helps organizations look at or achieve a better coordination between business lines when you talk about risk and prevention of risk, and it reduces the duplication of inefficiencies. And then the third point is really around bringing better clarity in the organization in terms of roles, responsibility with regard to risk and prevention of risk. More and foremost, it gives boards and senior management an ability to exert their role as responsible for risk. Excellent. So we've got some governance there and some transparency in terms of reporting and decision making. In terms of the financial markets, is this something that you think will improve the, the resilience of financial markets? The second part of the question. Oh, definitely. And it's part of the program. It's a twofold program that the regulators are trying to implement. As you mentioned, Part one is to prevent harm from clients, and part two is to continue the contribution of financial firms to the stability of the market. So it's a collective and industry type of goal that we're trying to achieve as well. Excellent. So I guess taking uh, that sort of wider stability, we can go back to the there's UK specific. Yeah, at the top of the first question, we mentioned important business services, or IBS, an acronym that everyone's going to have to get used to in the WAM industry. Luke, can important business services could have a different definition for just about anyone you ask. So maybe you could give us some clarity on what is an IBS, an important business service, in as far as the FCA PRA are concerned. Let me do by giving some examples. I think that indicates it better than just the description of the regulator. I think when we talk about IBSs, is for example, the acceptance of client transactions through an order management. It's very obvious if that cannot take place, people cannot place their investments, cannot withdraw their investments. So that would definitely, in that case, harm the firm's clients. But equally, placing investment orders. So within the funds, placing the investment orders, if that 
would not be resilient. That could clearly impact also the financial markets. And on top of that, also clearly the client. Because a fund manager cannot place its trades in the market because of operational issues, then that would most likely impact the performance of a fund. In the wealth and asset management industry, we are very much using all kinds of IT solutions, outsource solutions, etc. within that. And you can imagine there as well that the availability of information and communication is paramount to doing our day-to-day business. So unavailability of that would uh, most likely have a, a significant impact. And if we look at IT specifically, there is also a quite a high risk of concentration because it's not just where the company itself directly has outsourced, for example, its cloud services, but that is also the outsource providers, for example, for that order management system or for investment orders, where have they outsourced their cloud to? And do we understand that? Do we have that full picture of IT services and who the parties behind uh, that are. It's almost the sub-outsourcing of the outsourcer. As a company, you need to know that as well to understand it, to uh, be well prepared to uh, create your own mapping of the risk and therefore, in that way, your operational resilience. That's interesting. So I think what comes through in all those examples you gave was, I think this is Maybe the difference between perhaps the UK and European or US regulations, I think Singapore are doing a similar thing to the UK, is it's about focusing on a service that is ultimately delivered to the client, not just looking at how the firm is impacted. Is that a fair summary? Absolutely, Chris, and that's what I also highlighted in the intro already. It it moves from, call it BCP, business continuity planning, to operational resilience that is focused on clients and the financial markets. So it really goes uh, quite a a step further than before. And therefore, in that sense also, BCP is not enough. That might be fault in the market like, oh yeah, but we did already BCP. We have everything in place. And I would put uh, some caution to that and say, you have to go a step further and you really have to look at your organizational setup with outsourced parties. What do you do internally? But also know your outsourced party and have also the discussion with the outsourced provider of services as to how they manage operational resilience. Because they might not be regular, but if you have outsourced things, you remain responsible for that service that you have outsourced. So you need to know your outsourced party as well. And for sure, you can mitigate that risk by doing audits or do a joint audit with competitors. Your competitors might use the same service provider. And that gives you further assurance as to how they have set up their operational resilience. But it definitely has to go beyond BCP. And you have to uh, look much more at your complete organizational setup, call it your target operating model of your organization and really well understand. And talking of understanding that, that's a nice segue to some deadlines and some dates. Gary, if we've got my next question is around self-assessment and reporting, which I believe is expected in March 2022. So maybe you can tell us what that is, what steps you would recommend in terms of a plan and how you would organize that sort of self-assessment. <coughs> So March 2022 is part of a two-step program, Chris. By March 2022, 
firms are expected to come up with a self-assessment report that outlines how they're doing from an operational resilience viewpoint and what are the remediation programs that they need to come up with. And then, from March 2022 to 2025, firms have three years to do the remediation. So, more specifically, on the March 2022nd report, there really are three steps that we would recommend. One is the identification, two is the definition, and three is the testing. So, under identification, really, it's a matter of defining what's your IBS is, important business services, and having mapped resources that contribute to the business services. Then the definition is really defining what your tolerance level for IBS is and what's the impact of those IBS. And three, the testing is really coming up with scenarios where you test the IBS and their impact and you analyze where your situation is from the viewpoint of operational resilience. And then come up with a program that says, this is what we've identified, this is what we've defined, this is what we've tested, and this is our situation. Then we will design a program to remediate what we have for the next three years. So firms are not being told you have to be crystal clear and correct and all set up by March 2022. They've been asked, you need to have a framework in place. You have to have identified your IBS, what their impact is. And you have to show that you have tested this whole framework with scenarios and that you've identified where you're strong, where you are fair, and where you absolutely need to remediate your model. There is no standard provided by the regulator in terms of the report. But again, we would recommend to go through an identification process for a definition process and through a testing process and translate that into a report. And most importantly, identify what needs to be remediated over the next three years. Make sure that you establish a governance model to make this work and set up a steerco connected directly to the board to oversee the whole process and to get the buy-in from everyone in the firm that will be impacted. In other words, create a culture where operational resilience becomes the norm throughout the organization. Fantastic. And that what we're describing here is for the UK regulator, if you set up this program or you set up this governance off the back of this program. If someone says, oh, that's only for the UK, that's a lot of effort. Do you think this is applicable or you could leverage this for other jurisdictions? I believe you can. If you look at the regulations that we've quoted earlier in America, in Europe, in Asia, they all operate from the same spirit, that there is identification and remediation of operational resilience. So you can replicate the format across your organization and jurisdictions. Brilliant. I think my next question then is going to be, uh, again, we're talking about a program. All firms um, in our industry have been through a lot of regulation since the financial crisis. So it feels like one regulation after another. And in terms of efficiencies, would you recommend leveraging the existing risk and control frameworks? We've mentioned BCP. We also have operational risk that has been an ongoing effort for firms. Could we leverage these in the self-assessment review? And I'm going to point that one at you, Luke. What are the the chances for efficiencies for anyone listening to this? I think they're they're definitely there and it is not a a complete uh, start from nothing. Definitely as an organization, you would look at your current operational risk uh, framework or overall risk framework that you would take as a starting point. But as I mentioned earlier, it it goes a bit further uh, than that. 
And at the same time, you don't want to create something that is completely standing uh, on its own as an operational resilience. You want to integrate it within your overall risk uh, management framework. As I said before, you really have to go a few steps further than you might have done within your normal risk uh, management framework. So definitely efficiencies there, a use of what there is uh, today, but with a different angle, I would say, to it that you have to integrate within that. And Taking that one step further, because there's various pieces fitting together, which we've just discussed, how would you recommend organizations organize within their current governance structures and governance models? Clearly, very important to integrate it within your current governance structure. It's also an SMF24 function for the CEO. The CEO is responsible for operational resilience and will need to make in an annual assessment for him or herself, assure that operational resilience is well covered within the organization, covered in the sense of well understood assessment done, an annual assessment in that sense as well as if it is still fit for purpose. But on top of that, it is also the existing governance structure of a company that needs to not just be aware, but probably approve the setup of operational resilience in our organization. And that goes up to the level of the executive board, uh, the company board with the independent director. Our experience as well in doing this for organizations is to get to the point where operational resilience is well understood, set up in the sense of annual assessments, the self-assessment of it, etc. To get to that point, it is advisable to set up steer co or a, a working group that really deals with this for the next uh, six to nine months initially, and then the implementation as well afterwards for the mitigation of the operational resilience shortcomings that need to be remediated. Okay, so that that sounds pretty clear. Strong governance is important in any of the programs um, that we implement, so um, there's no difference here. So that brings me to my final question, back to Pierre. What happens after March 22 when you've done your identification, definition, and uh, testing? Once you've established a report, part of your report will definitely be a program or a plan that maps out how you're going to address and remediate the outcome of your testing. So you're going to have to fix something. You've got three years to get it done. And that's what the regulator is going to look into. This is a principle-based regulation. So there are no specific in terms of what is going to happen. And you're going to have three years. I would recommend to make sure that in your report of March 2022, your plan is very clear. The plan you're going to work against for the next three years, of course. Make sure that you have a team in place, as Luke referenced earlier, that takes responsibility for the execution of the plan and the remediation that's needed over the next three years. Make sure that your governance model is in place so that you can, on a regular basis, review interim reports as how you're doing against your remediation plan. So it could be a six-month or an yearly interim report, but it needs to be on a regular basis and you need to be aware of where you're going. And it's an iterative process. It's a dynamic process. Some new risk will emerge that will need to be baked into your scenarios, testing and report. So again, three years to remediate what you have highlighted in your March 2022 report, but on a very dynamic and iterative basis. I can add to that, Chris. I think also what we have done as Algamy Consulting, we have designed basically what we call the seven steps to establish your firm's operational resilience framework. 
So that is really seven steps to be able to create that operational resilience framework and have that assessment report for the regulator in place. Then we follow that with the seven steps of mitigation, which is similar kind of high level roadmap, how you can get to an operational resilience framework that sits within the tolerance of, call it risk, that you want to take there. And we work with our clients on establishing that it helps also in formulating within your organization what needs to be done on a high level, not a nitty-gritty detail. That doesn't mean that the detail you don't have to uh, go through, but at least you have a good framework of uh, communicating throughout the organization what operational resilience means, how you're going to establish it. And as uh, Pierre-Yves mentioned also, it is dynamic and how you over time stay on top of it. Brilliant. So there we go. Seven steps to operational resilience heaven. Luke, Pierre, thank you very much um, for that very informative guide to operational resilience. Thanks, Chris. And thanks for hosting this podcast. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you. To our listeners, I hope you found this uh, whistle-stop tour on operational resilience useful, informative. And if you want to discuss this podcast further with us, have any questions on operational resilience or how to implement your operational resilience program, please get in touch with us through inquiries at algamy-consulting.com or via LinkedIn, Algamy Consulting. Thank you and goodbye.